1: Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Pete George newly arrived in the gorgeous city of prague pete i mean the uh the magical mystery tour is is coming towards uh towards the end but you've you've definitely picked a fabulous city there to uh to go to some uh uh great architecture and dare i say uh after, especially after having been to munich another city with some pretty good beers as well to be fair you know how to pick them mate
0: yeah not a chance to experience it yet yeah, but looking forward to going in tomorrow and uh yeah, seeing the sights and trying a few beers.
1: Absolutely. And to be fair, you've got a few players to raise a glass to as well after after Saturday's exploits, because Albion coming out three-one winners over Hull City, and there were a few key players that um, uh, Pete would Pete would have every excuse to um, raise a raise a, a nice uh, frothy glass of beer to, and I'm I'm sure an opportunity he will take, and we will come to talking about those in in a short while. But Pete, before we start talking about individual players and, uh, and raising a glass to them, I think once again, and this is a bit of rinse and repeat here. We, we've got to raise a glass to Carlos Corbran, haven't we? I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable what, what he's doing. I mean, that was a big, big win. Let's let, let's, You know, let's make it very clear about that. Before the weekend started, of course, Leicester lost to Leeds on Friday night. But before the weekend started, Hull were the only team that had turned Leicester over this season. So then, no, uh, you know, no, no mean feat to turn them over. Of course, they were without Jaden Philogene. We do know this, who's been their star man for much of the season. But nonetheless, the game just largely went to plan for Albion. Once more, completely nullified the opposition. Um, I, I saw some comments from, uh, Risenia after the game, which kind of, he, he was rather suggesting that they, he felt a little bit sucker punched, that he didn't really know where the result had come from, and that he, he'd nodded towards their possession statistics, uh, 63% to 37% in favor of Hull. Well, I've got news for you, Liam. It doesn't matter how much of the ball you have if you don't do anything with it, because Hull had an overall XG of 0.5. Now, we've had more XG in the game. We've had more shots. We've had more shots on target. The bottom line is we deserve to win that game because we created more opportunities, the better opportunities. We didn't create a lot. Um, We we had 1.0 XG, although that's a little bit misleading because the XG really doesn't take take into account how much of a basically a free shot at goal Jed Wallace's was um, and probably should be much, much higher than it actually was for that. But nonetheless, our win doesn't necessarily come because of our attacking prowess. And we did have some very, very good attacking prowess, it has to be said. But our win comes because of how rock solid we are being at the back. And this is becoming something of a real trend for us. Now, looking at just this game, Pete, Hull, before I come on to the bigger picture, Hull created nothing really. I mean, even the goal that they scored um, has only has only got um, an an XG of naught point naught eight, so it's very low value. Louis Coyle actually benefits from how I would argue how poorly he strikes the ball, in that he strikes it into the ground. I don't think he's trying to do what he does, but it ends up being absolutely perfect and looping up off the turf and into the, into the far corner. And he also benefits from the fact, and unfortunately, I'm going to praise him later on, but I do have to highlight this. Matt Phillips is the left midfielder. If the right back is that far up the field, Matt Phillips has got to be back there with him. Um, and uh, Matt Phillips is rather conspicuous by his absence at that moment in time, um, which I was disappointed with with Phillips over. But as as we shall go on to see, he rather redeemed himself later in the game. But as I say, beyond that, they created next to nothing, 0.5 xG in the whole game. So only once in every two games would they even score a goal in that match. And to put that further into perspective, of that 0.5 xG, 0.15 of it came in injury time in a couple of little scrambles that they had in our penalty area in the sixth and eighth minute Injury time. Now, the reality is, even if they had scored from those, they probably wouldn't have had time to actually get another anyway. So it was largely irrelevant, XG, in terms of actual game-impacting expected goals, Pete. They had 0.35 over the whole match. Now, I honestly to God, do not see for the life of me how Rasenia can have any complaints about losing a game in which his team created 0.35 of relevant XG, i.e. XG where there was enough time left in the game for them to actually get enough goals to equalise. I I think to be honest, he's he's bleating for no reason for me on this one.
0: Yeah, I can understand
1: managers um,
0: being upset and complaining if the side creates a lot of chances and creates more chances than the opposition and, and probably doesn't concede many and then end up losing the game. But um you've got to yeah, you've got to actually create chances. There's no point just having possession for, for the sake of having the ball if you're not going to create chances with it and you're gonna concede more chances than, than you create. Um I think you can hardly um, be upset with losing a game like that. And also if you look at um actual mean and possession um and use field to look at that. So passes isn't basically possession in the final third for each team, then Albion had more anyway. They had 52% and Hull had 47 so or 48 Um So yeah, Hull may have had more of the ball, but in the final third Albion had more and you know that's when you're going to create chances and score goals rather than just passing it around the back and, and racking up possession numbers that at the end of the game don't really mean anything.
1: And it's worth saying, Pete, we're quite happy for, for teams to have possession in those meaningless areas, aren't they? We're not a team that which, which I have to say will make the, uh, this weekend game against Southampton quite interesting. We're not a team that feels the need to have a lot of the ball. If a team wants to have it in areas where they're not going to hurt us, Carlos Corbrand's attitude is very much go ahead. And then, um, because what he wants to do is he wants to tempt a team out of that shape and he wants to hit them on the break to devastating effect, much as we did for the second goal.
0: And even the first goal with Jed, allowing them to have the ball in in deep areas that you know aren't really going to be threatening allows us to press as well and if you get it right then them having the ball in those deep areas can lead to us creating chances and creating goals like we did um for jade's goal that came from them having the ball in deep areas we us winning the ball high up the pitch and then um creating the chance so it's one of those things that you know it can be not only is it not threatening to us then passing the ball around the back it also sometimes allows us to actually create chances from it so um yeah it's not something that we're really going to mind. I don't think is when teams get the ball into the final third and and play it around there and inside the box. It's that's when things become an issue. But we've been limiting teams to not really doing too much of that.
1: On that first goal, Pete, I've seen a number of people saying that um, targeting Seri was something of a tactic, and that he's perhaps uh, threatened to make mistakes like that in in uh, in other games. Do you do you see it like that? Was uh, was that something that we had? We talk about how almost nothing <laughs> in a Carlos Corbran game happens by accident. You, you you very much talked about this after the Coventry game with uh, with with Grady following in on on Wilson because because perhaps it had been seen that Wilson does drop a few of those balls. Do you think this is similar with with Seri, where where we had known that he was potentially prone to a lapse like that?
0: It could well be. I think it. I mean, definitely the the. Um... Coaches and analysts or whatever would have known that that was like a pattern of play that they're going to try when they're building up. We were ready for it. I think we knew it was coming and, and pressed it really well to make that the only option for Alsop to go into into Seri. But then as soon as Alsop started to play that play that pass, can't remember who it, who it was pressing Seri, but they jumped straight onto it and kind of forced that the shape of the press made it that the only option was to play back into the defender and then Jed anticipated that as well so I think we kind of knew what we were doing in terms of that press and that um, pattern that they were going to try to build up and um, yeah I think the pressure on, on Sarri kind of forced the mistake and well Jed capitalised on it straight away so I think it was kind of I think yeah almost planned to do that um, I think every game you know the research will go into knowing what teams are going to do each stage of build of um, each stage of their build up so it's kind of just a, a dream situation when it actually comes off and you win the ball high up the pitch and can then um, actually um, capitalise on it and, and score the goal.
1: How much credit do you give Jed for the finish, Pete? Because uh, I, uh, I've, I've had people say to me, a professional footballer should just be able to turn and finish from there. You know, it's largely an open goal. The goalkeeper's a little bit stranded um, to the right of centre. I've had others say... Look at Darwin Nunez against Luton, skying the ball from three yards. Just because a finish looks easy doesn't mean that it is. You've still got to put it in the onion bag. And I mean, the XG, as I say, for some reason only gives it, gives it a 0.1, uh, which obviously would mean that it goes in one, uh, one, one out of 10 times. Now, I have to say, I think that's something of a quirk of the data, not really being able to take in into fully into account the goalkeeper's positioning and the, and the nature of the chance. I have to say though, there's a lot of Albion players over the years that wouldn't even necessarily have finished. Uh, Fancy to put it into the corner from there, and I, I think I think the way Jed takes it is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, well, phenomenal's probably pushing it a little bit, but I think I, I think it's it's cool, it's calm, and and I think I mean on the second goal as well, the cool the coolness and the calmness comes through again, and it's just it's something. I think we spoke about it this last week, Pete, that I, I i can't help feeling that the amount of instruction that players have and the amount of confidence that Carlos Corbrand seems to show into, show to his players that he doesn't he doesn't overly criticize them for for making small mistakes in games um or for for trying things that the players just seem to have a level of belief in themselves at the moment, that they know what they're doing. They're going out onto the pitch with a plan. And when these big moments crop up, whether it's Jed for the first goal being given the ball by Seri, whether it's Grady getting getting through for the second goal and having that moment to take a breath, check inside, give it to Phillips, or whether it's Phillips for that goal, to most players try and strike that ball, but he doesn't. He takes a touch. He just rolls it in the bottom corner. When in the past have we have we seen Albion players doing this? And I, 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 it was something we were talking about off-air. We've overscored our XG by 6.3. So according to the data, we have scored nearly six and a half more goals than we should have done this season, According based on the chances that we've had. That is comfortably the most in the division. And many people would look at that and they would say, that's utterly unsustainable you're running hot at the moment and at some point the goals are going to dry up because if 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 you're you're not going to keep overscoring your xg by that number of goals that might be the case that might be the case but i would argue pete that the way we're overscoring our xg is partly down to the confidence and the calmness that corbran is putting into the players because it's not like Normally when you're overscoring your XG by that that kind of amount, the reason is that remember a few seasons ago, long, long before he played for us, when he actually scored goals from 35 yards, Adam Reach had that had that week where he purled one in against Leeds and then he purled one in against us. And that's when you're overscoring your XG by such an amount, that's normally the way they're going in, isn't it? It's normally stuff you're hitting from just about anywhere is is going in everything you hit is going in the back of the net we're overscoring our xg because players are being cool and calm and collected in front of goal there's nothing lucky about why we're overscoring our xg we're overscoring it because we're being composed and I realize that most the reason the reason that that means we're overscoring our xg is because most players in the situations that Anybody who's played the game to any level as an as an attacking player, and Pete, I know having played with you, you're you're uh, you're a centre forward. You you know that I'm an attacking player as well for for what limited quality I have in in uh, on on a football field. And anybody who has been in attacking positions at any level of the game knows that the hardest thing to do is not is is not to strike the ball properly. It's to give yourself that breath to not get panicked in those situations. And the best players who finish don't always finish because they can hit the ball the hardest. They're the players that can calm their mind and stick it in the back of the net as a result. And that, for me, is why we're scoring goals at the moment. Because our players are calm, because they're composed, because they're confident. And I feel like that's coming from the manager. And as I say... Normally, when the data shows that you are overscoring by an enormous amount, you look at it and you go, just everything we hit's flying in. It's almost dumb luck at this point. This is not going to continue. I'm not saying 100% it's going to continue because, uh, frankly, I don't want to put that kiss of death on us, and I also don't want to look very, very stupid in a few weeks. I'm sure I can find a way to do that myself. But the reality is, for me, that we aren't overscoring our XG because we're lucky. We're scoring our, our, overscoring our XG because we are more composed and more calm and more confident than other footballers would be in those situations. And I do think that while Carlos Corbran is the manager, I do think that can continue. Don't you?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that we are running hot and finishing very well. And I wouldn't be surprised if over the next however long weeks, months, we don't finish as well and, and don't score as many goals from the kind of chances that we're creating. But at the same time, I think what you say is is true that the players do seem really calm in front of goal. And I mean, if you look at both finishes from Wallace and Phillips, they're both um, very composed. When in the past you have probably seen players just kind of, well, I mean, with Wallace's just lash it and um, maybe try to hit it too hard and and then um, put it wide or put it over or whatever. Um, but it's kind of just. Yeah, very calm, very composed, and just focused on, on the technique rather than you know, smashing it into the back of the net. And similarly with Phillips, he um had more players to, to take into consideration. It wasn't just him and the keeper, but again he just kind of slotted it into the into the bottom corner and um rather than just, you know, hitting it as hard as he could and and then maybe a defender blocking it or whatever. So Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of composure there and um it's probably it's like something they that's worked on the training. Just, yeah. I was
1: just going to say, Pete, it's like they can control their emotions because in both of those goals as well, you look at them afterwards and the celebration, there's this huge outpouring of emotion. Jed running towards the corner, scream, uh, uh, screaming, come on, come on. You know, uh, the, the, Matt, Matt Phillips was absolutely roaring. And uh, And to be fair, Matt Phillips is not the kind of player that you associate with that kind of really. Pumped up over the over the top uh, celebration. He's normally, you know, quite a, quite a sort of laid back character. So it certainly ke- comes across that way. But you know, it seems like the players can control their emotion when they need to control it at the moment, and then and then l- let that release out when they need to release it. And it, I, I you know, I, you know, you know me. I'm a bit of a sad sack and I, I, I read books about sort of like psychology and things and things like, because it, it, frankly, the human mind fascinates me. And I think th- th- that control of emotion, I think Carlos Corbrand's coaching goes beyond the physical. I think he, I, I think I imagine his coaching, especially when he looks back at, we, we talked about this on the pod some, uh, some weeks back when we were conceding two goals a game and how many chances we were giving away from our own mistakes that we were? The, I think we were the highest in the division at, uh, at one point for um, uh, for shots resulting from individual errors. And I wonder whether Corbrand has looked at it and gone, "There's actually nothing wrong, really, with the with the sort of physical and technical attributes that we've that I've got here." But where I've got a problem is the mental attributes. And this and this is something we've talked about for quite some time that we we've how many times have we said on this pod over the last couple of years, Pete, the mentality of the players is wrong, the mentality of the players is wrong we 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 said it under val, we said it under bruce we you know we 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 said it we've said it so many times, and i i don't i think Corbran has worked hard on that, and I think he is i think he's sorted it and to a degree, and I think players know when to be aggressive they know when to be calm and we talked on the last pod we've committed the least fouls of any team in the division we don't go flying into things i i i, I see i i see control and then releases of emotion and aggression at the right times and do you know what when was the last time we could say that about an albion team we, we, we had we had a we had a a, a point in the in the Premier League season, we we're practically getting a sending off every week, and uh, and during Val's reign, how many how many sendings off did we have? You know, we had with uh, Jake Livermore, our captain, getting himself sent off in uh, in Steve Bruce's first game. We had no idea how to cre- control our emotional state, and I feel like Carlos Corbran, I Look, I could be dead wrong here. I've got no behind the scenes information, but I honestly believe Carlos. I don't think anything under Carlos Corbrand happens by accident. And I think it's something he's worked on, Pete. Um, uh, do you, am I am I talking sense, or as per usual, am I uh, uh, am am I whistling Dixie out my backside?
0: I don't know. I was just thinking it's it's quite interesting that it's almost like the opposite of when Ishmael was in charge. That there was a lot of aggression and emotion on the pitch, and um, I mean, we probably it was probably necessary with the kind of football we were trying to play, you know, so aggressive pressing and and everything, but it led to a lot of fouls and. Um, a lot of bookings and a lot of sending offs um, even in situations that you know just shouldn't have happened like the um, outbursts after I think it was the Cardiff game at the Hawthorns under Ishmael there was a big yeah it was yeah a big scuffle at the end of the game and I think it was Johnston that got himself sent off and maybe Ishmael as well come, came storming onto the pitch um, but everything in that seemed to be just you know full emotion all the time and um, aggression and everything and in and, and that period we were, you know, massively underperforming the expected goals and, and not scoring the chances that we probably should have done. Um under core it yeah, it seems the opposite in terms of we're taking our chances, but also everything's very calm on the pitch until um, like you say, you score the goal and then there's the release and you know there's the emotion there as well but
1: when we're passing it around the back the players aren't in any rush I know the crowd sometimes get on their back over it but they aren't in any rush to get it forward either and again that's that, that's got to be that's you've got to have a level of control and calmness to not respond to the crowd in those situations
0: yeah and, and players are comfortable with the ball and, and not scared to have it at the back especially Kipro you know there's the calmness to to actually want the ball and want to play it out rather than um, being scared and, and anxious to actually just and go long and get rid of it and not have the, the pressure of the crowd on you to, not only because they want you to get it forward, but also being worried that you're going to make a mistake and cost a goal. Um, so, yeah, there just seems to be a lot of composure all over the pitch and everything seems um, very, everyone seems relaxed on the ball and, and comfortable and and not scared to have it. It just seems to be a really good um, atmos- atmosphere within the squad and um, you'd imagine that's coming from the coaches.
1: Especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And one of those as well that there seems to be a really good atmosphere and attitude from is Jed Wallace, and I just want to dwell on him a moment, Pete, because we've talked we've talked about his goal there, and the celebration that he did that he did afterwards. And I, I put a tweet out earlier today because um, the Albion account tweeted that clip, and and I, I I quote tweeted it, and I said if anybody wants to know why I have more patience for Jed Wallace than possibly any other player, you've only got to watch that clip. Because for me, I can understand, I, I've always said this about players that I understand when players aren't playing their best, that it's frustrating, especially when you know what they're capable of. But there's a huge difference for me between players that aren't playing their best because they're not applying themselves and players that aren't playing their best for a myriad of any other reasons other than effort. And I don't think for one second, at any point since he pulled on a West Bromwich Albion shirt, that you can question Jed Wallace's effort, his commitment, how much he cares, how much he wants to win, and I thought that all poured out after the uh, after that goal. And please, if you haven't watched the clip, it's on it's it's on the it's on the WBA account. Just go and have a look at it because that's not fake. You it, it, you, you you've only got to look into somebody's eyes to know whether or not they're. they're Putting on a bit of a show for the fans or the cameras or whatever. That's not fake. That is that's real from Jed. That's how that's how he felt in that moment. That was it was massive for him. He knew it was a big game, and to, for him to get the first goal of the game and for him to take that chance as coolly as he did. It, it um, And by the way, phenomenal knee slide as well. There's, there, there are a few things better in terms of you can do all your fancy Dan. Um, choreographed pre- uh, celebrations y- you want. Nothing beats a good knee slide, in my opinion, but that's a slight tangent anyway. But I, I uh, that was real from him. That was how he felt in that moment. And. I just think it shows how much Jed cares. We saw it a bit after he scored the goal against Watford as well. It was like this weight had been lifted off his shoulders. He's aware of the criticism. He's aware of the fact that he's had to adapt to a different role this season. It's been difficult for him. Has he played the best football of his career? No, absolutely not. But then Jed has played almost all of his best football in a right wing role Generally for a club like Millwall, who almost always have had a big, strong centre forward, that somebody like Jed, who's got an absolute wand of a right foot, an underused phrase in my in my opinion, a wand is always used to describe a left foot. You can have a wand of a right foot. Believe you me. David Beckham did. And so does Jed Wallace. I'm going to mention the two in the same breath. Um, but he's always had that player to deliver the ball towards. He hasn't got that this season. He hasn't been able to even play in that wider role. He's had to adapt to a more central role, which we saw at times last season when Corbyn asked him to move in field to accommodate Mark Albrighton, that he that he struggled a little bit with. I, I think he's got better and better and better and better at it. He's learned how to play the centre forward role and has led the line in two victories at, 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 at Preston and Coventry. That's not a coincidence. For me, not for one second is that a coincidence that Jed has led the line. He led the press. Um, That's why he's the furthest player forward when Seri tries to play the ball back because he's leading the press. His work rate, his work ethic, the example he shows to other players is without question for me. He's absolutely fantastic. Has the performances always been there this season? No. But look, if you're going to get on at players then don't get on at them for trying their best. You know, I can understand why people get on at people like, you know, Ken Zahor, who frankly strolled around for, for what was he, on a three-year contract, um, yeah, picking up his money, doing absolutely... In fact, it might have been a four-year contract. Um, picking up his money and doing absolutely nothing for it and, you know, ducking out of that challenge against Luton when he came it came on and not not wanting to play as much as I don't necessarily agree with how far it went with Callum Robinson, I can understand the frustration of seeing a player pull out of, uh, pull out of challenges, similar, similar issues with Carl and Grant, not, not wanting to be there for the team, just kind of looking like the only thing he was really interested in was sticking the ball in the back of the net. And if that didn't happen, then he wasn't really going to contribute to the, uh, to the team. I can understand why you, why, why you be frustrated at, at some of these players who go out on a pitch and don't seem to, Give everything for the shirt, why you could what how you can ever get on a player like Jed Wallace who goes out there and whatever level of performance he turns in he's he's doing everything he can he is giving it everything he's got, and you could question the levels earlier in the season. I don't think you can now I think. Preston and commentary, tremendous performances in the nine. I thought he was really good at Watford uh, as well in a, in a slightly more withdrawn role uh, alongside Swift. And I, I, uh, I, and I think, I thought he was brilliant against Hull. And by the way, you know, we, we've talked already about the second Albion goal and, Dean Garner and Phillips's parts in it are phenomenal. They really, I mean, like I say, Dean Garner's feet and composure and knowing that he's not going to get beyond the man to just check inside. And Matt Phillips just takes a touch, rolls it in the bottom corner. Both brilliant, but none of that happens without Jed Wallace in the centre circle. First touch on the half turn and then threading a ball inch perfect for Grady Dean Garner down the line. Jed Wallace contributed two goals in that game. He was a massive part of why why we won. He was a massive part of why we won at, at Preston because of his work. He was a massive part of why we won at Coventry because of his work. And I don't think he should have had the criticism that he's had up to this point because he has been doing everything he can and trying. What, he's clearly working hard to adapt his game to a different style of football. But I can understand why people questioned whether he was worth his place in the team earlier in the season i think we did on this very pod pete because the performances weren't there but don't get on his back when he's trying hard regardless of whether his performances aren't there question whether he should be in the team fine but don't get on his back and at the moment you can't get on his back for anything because the work ethic is there the commitment is there the desire is there and you know what the quality is as well
0: not only is he playing in a New role in this season and, and having to play a lot more centrally, but he's also probably getting involved in games a lot less than he'd be used to. Because in previous seasons, when he's playing out wide, you're going to see a lot of the ball just going into wide areas, and um, then he can, you know, put in his crosses and create chances like that. But this season, getting the ball in central areas, especially as an attacker, is, you know, you see a lot less of the ball and it gives you less chance to, to create stuff and score goals yourself as well. But the whole season, he's never. Never stopped trying. He's always given 100%. So I think it's hard to to criticise him for that. Like you say, if if he's not playing particularly well and, um, and um, performances aren't there, then I I think it's probably fair to be able to question whether he should be starting in the team. But Corbrand's persisted with him, and I think the last few performances have, have shown why. Um, you know, he's always been for the basically for the whole season. He's been important and pressing and. Um, very aggressive and, and full of energy for it and does it intelligently as well so that part of the game's always been there um, it's just contributing as well in terms of goals which you need from your attacking players but I think well interestingly enough he's actually contributing more goals per 90 than he was last season if you look at goals and assists it's this season he's he's contributing 0.41 per 90 um, so a goal or an assist every two and a half games or so last season it was 0.32 um so goal or assist every every three games so it's actually higher than um last season when i think most people would consider him to be playing uh, better football than he is this season which you know i'd agree with that um but he's after the goal um against holy you know his numbers are actually not bad in terms of contributing at the, the top end of the pitch um
1: well, he's he's only second so, to John know. Swift in in goal contributions. Pete, um, uh, the, John Swift has got seven, six goals and one assist, and then uh, after that, Wallace is a, is one of a clutch of players on, on on five. So, I mean, if you if you're saying, I'll rattle off the other players on that list: Brandon, Matt Phillips, Grady, Dean Garner, are ha- are having um, having good seasons, and they are. Then so's Jed Wallace.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, there's a lot more to football than just. And just on in their system but for a player that's basically playing as a makeshift striker then you know I think it's quite an important thing to to look at um expected goals and expected assisted down from last season but um yeah actually putting the ball in the back of the net and, and passing it somebody who does is, is up so in some ways he's actually doing better than than last season which seems you know impossible to say because I think his overall game's got worse but you know as we've, we've said a lot of times it's He's playing in a new role in a position that doesn't really suit him, and doing a job for the team. But you know, on the on the grand in the grand scheme of things, he's he's not doing a bad job at all. I don't think.
1: Just going back to the defensive side of it uh, for a moment, Pete, and uh, I want to just I want to rattle off some numbers now. Um, so <laughs> get your, get your heads ready. Um, there's there's some numbers coming. As I say, we we're overscoring our XG, but in terms of our XG against. We are the only teams with a better XG against over the whole season at this moment in time are Leicester, Leeds, Watford, interestingly, and Ipswich. Now, that's all also taking into account that after four games this season, we had an XG against of 7.3. So not far off an XG against of two goals per game. And that was after four games this season. In the next 11 games, we have only allowed an XG of 8.6. I mean, that's that's absolutely phenomenal, really, because that, that means we're only letting in an, an XG of 0.78 per game. To put that into perspective, since the mad game at Watford, where the weather played a big part, our XG against has been 0.3. 0.4, 0.2, 0.8, 0.4. This is sorry, this is non-penalty xG. Um, 0.4, 0.2, 1.8, which was Coventry, who were the one team that have really, really hurt us in the um in the last uh, half a dozen uh, sorry eight games, and then 0.5 on on Saturday. What we did at the weekend, Pete, is not any sort of a it's not a fluke, it's not a flash in the pan since since basically the opening four games when we were just really really open against uh Leeds Swansea Blackburn and Middlesbrough we have we've just completely shut up shop i mean we're not we we're, we're not we're not giving anyone really a sniff and the only reason that that even our, our numbers over the last 11 games are as high as 8.6 is it is because the coventry game where they they drag it up massively with with a one point eight xg. The the rest of it, there's a couple of little outliers in uh, in there. I mean, obviously the Birmingham game gets pulled higher because they've had a penalty, um, and the Watford game was a little bit mad because of the because of the um, uh, because of the weather. But other than that, I mean, we're just we, we we're not. I don't think we've given any other team since the opening four games of the season a whole goal of xg in the game and what a platform for winning games that is Look, we we talk about we're overscoring our xg and it might not continue and ev- and everything like that but the reality is that if you're not conceding at the other end then you've only got a nick one anyway because we because you're not giving teams chances to score you're not giving them the opportunity to score and, and without stating the blindingly obvious here if you don't give, if if teams don't score, they can't beat you, and you've only got to score one to win, and that that really is where we're at at this point in time. Pete is that in the vast majority of games, and it's it's no fluke, and it's interesting. We actually look more solid than we did last season because the xG against was not as low as that last season under Corbrand, and actually Alex Palmer was having to make some pretty big saves in quite a lot of games. Alex Palmer's not actually having to make big saves really anymore, is he? We're just not giving teams opportunities. And I mean, we'll come to some of the defenders in in a minute. But I mean, and I, didn't, I honestly didn't think I'd say this, but thank goodness Cedric Kipre's injury wasn't as bad as it looked because... He's at the heart of that. But they're, they're all fantastic. I hope Carl Bartley's injury isn't isn't anything major because he's, he's come in and made a huge difference. But then I thought Shemi Ajayi when he came on against Hull was absolutely fantastic. Eric Peters has maybe been the one who's been a little bit iffy, but then... I, I thought he had probably his best game of the season at Coventry, and then he comes out. Connor Townsend comes in, and he's abso- he was absolutely fantastic against uh, against Hull City, and barely gave them barely gave them a sniff. Won 100 percent of his tackles down that side. It doesn't seem to matter who the personnel are, since Corbrand decided enough was enough after conceding two goals against Huddersfield and having seen his team do that in four of the five opening games. We have just been about as rock-solid as they come, haven't we?
0: Yeah, the defence has been um, really solid after the first few fixtures. And, well, you know, if you, if you keep a clean sheet, then you're always going to get at least one point. So it's a great um, foundation to kind of build games on, is to to be really solid and, and not give away too many chances. And even if the goals do start to, well, not dry up, but come at a, a bit of a, a slower rate and when not performing overperforming the expected goals as much as we are at the minute, then um, you know, we've still got the strong basis of of the defence and, and not giving away too many chances. So you can still win games, um, even if you only win them one 0 rather than, you know, three one or, or however you want to win them. But yeah, I think that defensive platform is something that Coran values really highly and we saw it when he came in and you know, winter last year and into the new year we were really solid defensively and a good run of fixtures and, you know, almost got into the playoff spots as well. So I think it's probably one of his focuses to, to really strengthen the defence and, and not give away too many chances. And then once you've got that, you can, you know, have a bit more freedom going forward as as well, because, you know, you've got the, the stability of the defence and, and the confidence in them as well. Once you put, now that we've put a, a good run of um, defensive performances together, it's, you know, you can kind of see um, the confidence that the players have in each other now and um, yeah I think it's it's really beneficial for them and, and to have Alex Barman behind them as well as he doesn't have to make many big saves but it tends to be just the he has to make saves from goals that be really good goals from like range and stuff and maybe not against Hull, but in other games he, he's pulled out some really good saves from shots that have been from range and you know going in the top corner or something so he's not been too busy but when he has been called into action he's you know he's done his job and um has helped his defenders in front of him as well.
1: And the home form has really picked up, Pete. I mean, obviously, the away form has picked up as well. Uh, uh, two wins out of the last three away from home after uh, after a bit, a bit of a wait for for an away win before that. But the home form was was the, kind of the bedrock of everything that we did last season under Corbran. And that seems to be on its way back. We've won three of the last four at home, only drawing, uh, drawing the other one. Um, and again, you look at the non-penalty xG of the last five home games, Pete. We've only given away in the last five home games a total across all five games of 1.5 xG. That's an average of 0. 0.3 per game. I mean, look, you know, it, you're obviously the, the the stats man, the data man. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's that's staggering, isn't it? To be to be giving away an average of point three across five home games. I mean, that that's, that that's, that's ridiculous levels of defensive solidity, isn't it?
0: Yeah. That's, you know, extremely solid. Um, of course you got to look at the opponents as well, but you know, it's not been the really obviously playing QPR and Sheffield Wednesday as well, you know, the, the weak opponents, but teams like Plymouth and, and Hull as well. And, um, uh, Millwall would be the other one as well, yeah. Millwall, they're you know Millwall, Hull and um, Plymouth. They're not they're not bad teams, and you know we've seen Millwall pushing for playoffs the past few seasons. We've seen Hull improving this season and and look a decent side, and even Plymouth. They've you know they've not been they've been scoring a lot of goals. So yeah, we've been we've been solid against teams that have been decent as well. And yeah, if we can keep that kind of solidity at home, at least hopefully away as well for the rest of the season, then it's going to be really difficult for teams coming to the Hawthorns and, you know, they're going to be having the... When teams look at it, it probably makes it easier for for Albion to attack in a way because teams might see that we're really difficult to break down and if they do want to break us down at the Hawthorns, then maybe they've got to push a few more players forward than than they usually would, um, which, you know, in turn probably gives a bit more space for Albion to attack into if they do. So having that in the back of, you know, coaches' minds when when they've got to come to the Hawthorns is, yeah, as as good as it is to to actually have that defensive record in the first place
1: let's move on to just have a bit of a conversation about a few of the individual players or more specifically there's a couple that i want to talk about i don't think anybody's going to be overly surprised at the at, at the two that uh, that i want to talk about let's start off with grady d and garner pete he is just having a lovely old time at the moment isn't he i mean the feat, as I say, for the for the second goal is absolutely phenomenal. But the way the the way he absolutely destroys the fullback for the third is just is just a joy to behold. We saw exactly the same thing against QPR as well, where he just annihilated his fullback. I saw somebody saying to me, you know, oh it seems like uh, Grady um Grady gives the ball away a bit. Well, yeah he does i mean seven take ons three succeeded so he succeeded with l- less than half of his take ons by the way just to be clear about the take ons data that doesn't necessarily mean he lost the ball um a, a successful take on means he got past him um w- whereas an unsuccessful take on could be winning a corner winning a throw in um something that something like or being stopped uh, but still retaining the ball um so he didn't always go past his man, but when he did, it was to such devastating effect. He had six shot creating actions in the game, which was twice as many as anybody else um, on uh, on the pitch. Um, and... Also, what uh, what I thought was really notable. I mean, he had a um, 109 yards progressive distance carried. Pete. I mean, that for an attacking player. Because uh, it's always worth saying with this, with this data, it's not about necessarily always having the highest numbers. Because, for example, you could have the highest number of passes on the pitch, but if you're a centre half, you could just be passing them back and forth between your other centre half. Similarly, it's easier to have progressive distance carried if you're a player at the back because. Generally, you're less likely to get pressed the further back you are, so you're going to be allowed to carry the ball forward. To have that amount of progressive distance carried with the ball, Pete, as an attacking player who spends most of his time in the final third is absolutely phenomenal. It really is. And what I thought was also noticeable is that the only players who had more more than one more touch than Grady... Were Furlong, Kipre, and Moat, and again, you don't really see that necessarily from uh, from a player in the final third, but it just goes to show how much we're looking for him at the moment. We it, it, the the plan is clearly get the ball to Grady, get the ball to Grady. We we're using that big switch across to him at the moment. the 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 players the players must know he is in absolutely scintillating form. He's a joy to watch. And they just want to give in the ball as much as uh, as much as they possibly can, and I thought it was almost terrifying as well to see Sarmiento come on from the net, for the last few minutes and see what he can do on the other side. Because my always always my concern when I see a player just almost destroying two teams at the Hawthorns on his own, which is what I think. Not on his own because we're going to come to another player who's unbelievable in a second. But in terms of the 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 X factor, the the point at which you create the goals, Grady Diangana has has been that difference maker in the last in the last two home games. And when I see that, obviously I'm enjoying it. But on the other hand, what I'm worried about is what if someone like Southampton, for example, are watching that and going. Well, we're not going to have that so we're just we we're literally going to stick somebody on Grady D and Garner for 90 minutes and we're going to play 10v10 we're going to double up against him as well when he's on when he's on the ball we we're, we're not going to let him play but then when you see Sarmiento coming off the bench you think well if you do that we'll just throw Sarmiento on as well and then you can't mark, you're going to do well to double up on both of them because you're going to run out of players sooner or later the the guy is just in frightening form, Pete, isn't he? And and I I I love the fact that he's putting all of his doubters to bed over all all this rubbish that he's lost his pace or that the injuries have took their toll on him or any of the other conspiracy theories that seem to surround Grady Dingana. Look, the reality for me is fairly simple. I tweeted about this in in the week. Grady has had has just had a tough few years. He he. Okay, I I think definitely think that there was there was a problem where he was a young man who left uh, the club he loved and he didn't want to go and they decided to sell him. And look, he's a this gets forgotten about Grady. When we bought him, he was a very young man. How do you, how do you, how did you, would you, how would you have coped with something like that in your early 20s? You know, it's not, it's not like you're a mature player in your sort of late 20s, early 30s. This is a young man. And I think we're sometimes, because, because they're footballers, we forget, we, we, we don't shadow ourselves back to when we were in our early 20s. And how did we cope with things? Did we cope with things maturely all the time? No. No, I know I didn't. Uh, you know, um, you ca- you can't always do that because uh, because when things hit you, sometimes they hit you hard, and you haven't got the life experience to cope uh, with 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 those knocks. Grady probably didn't at that point. He didn't cope with the Premier League season well, and then the next season, he a manager comes in who just does not suit Grady at all in any way, shape, or form, and he doesn't have a good season. For that reason and then Bruce comes in and actually he starts playing some really decent football gets injured then Corbran comes in he finally gets an opportunity because of some injuries towards the end of the season he's actually playing really well and then he gets injured again you can mitigate the reasons why it hasn't happened for Grady over the last five years uh, not five years last few years but when you look at it it's not a massive surprise that as the stars have started to align for him, he's got a manager who understands him, he's got a system that is built to get the best out of him, and he's fit, that suddenly we're seeing the best of Grady Dean Garner. And my goodness me, Pete, are we seeing the best of Grady Dean Garner at the moment? Wow. Yeah, the last
0: few weeks he's been incredible and has really come in at the right time with Schiff being out injured as well. You know, he's always had the the talent to be one of the best players in. The championship, and we start to see it consistently again. I think in previous seasons he's he's been good, but maybe hasn't hasn't got enough contributions at the end of the pitch, and maybe his performances have gone a bit unnoticed. But I think this season his performances have been even better than the previous seasons, and he's having he's getting the goals and assists to um to make it easily seen by people. Um, you know the assists for well the assists for both the goals against Hull were, were both incredible to. Take on the men and you know basically lay out the plate for both players for both Phillips and Ajay's, um, you know, There's not much more you can ask of your winger to do. And you know we always say that as well as having that technical ability and and being able to take players on and and get assists like that and score goals, he, he's always doing his defensive work as well. So for a team that's looking to press, he's you know a real asset to have up the pitch.
1: And the other one who's really, really proving a real asset to have at the moment. And for as phenomenal as Grady was on Saturday, he wasn't my man of the match, Pete. My man of the match was Alex Mowat. I mean, what a performance from him. This it, let, Because sometimes on this pod, I'm aware I can, you know, I've got, a, I've got a bunch of stats in front of me and I can rattle through them, a lot of them to try and sort of make uh, make an overall point but some I I'm, I'm well aware that if I reel off a lot of stats some of the stuff that can uh, can get lost so I want to say this one in isolation because and there are other things to say about Alex Moat but this one is absolutely staggering Alex Moat had a 93% pass completion rate the only passes that Alex Moat did not complete against Hull City were three passes that he made that were over 30 yards or more. That means that Alex Mowat made 51 passes that were under 30 yards in distance. 51 passes under 30 yards in distance. He completed all of them, Pete. That's brilliant.
0: Yeah, and he also also had the the most aggressive passes for Albion as well. So he was moving the ball forward and, you know, it wasn't just passing between centre backs and full backs and everything he was actually helping out get up the pitch and you know that's what you want from your central midfielder. Um so you know it makes the, the accuracy the pass accuracy even more impressive because he was key for us moving up the pitch as well.
1: And not just that and here's <laughs> here's the other stuff from my from my notepad sitting in front of me, Pete. Forty five carries as well. He was second highest in progressive distance carried. So he won a hundred percent of tackles. I mean, there's there's um there's rumours going round around about the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, and uh, and Mahomes uh, investing in the Albion. Well, for anybody who knows their NFL, Alex Mowat is is basically doing what uh, Patrick Mahomes does for the Chiefs. He can pass it, but he can run with it as well. I mean, he's just. He is he is basically the all round quarterback at the moment, Pete. I know I know you love my NFL references because they go completely over your head, but I mean, forty five carries, second highest distance, progressive distance carried, coupled with the fact that as you say, he's made that many passes, and they the passes have been going forward into dangerous areas as well. I mean, you don't generally see running stats combined with passing stats like that, it's it, it, it's staggering.
0: Yeah, and it's probably something you don't expect from Alex Miller either because, um, you know, a lot of the time people consider him to be not very dynamic, not very quick, um, so probably not somebody that carries the ball forward. So to be able to move the ball forward, you know, both with his passing and being able to carry it as a central midfielder is is really useful and, um, you know, he's kind of made that position in the team his own after, you know, he what he, he would probably consider a slow start to the season because he wasn't playing. And, um, you know, it's a p- position on the pitch that there's actually quite a lot of competition for in the Albion squad. So it's, um, yeah, it's really impressive what he's been doing in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I can't really see him being dislodged from the team.
1: And the other stat is Pete, a hundred percent of his tackles won as well. You know, I mean, he's, he's doing it in an attacking sense and a, and a defensive sense. I mean, as as you say i mean look nobody is undroppable under un, under carlos corbran because and he and he's rotated that midfield brilliantly and we we don't seem to whoever seems to come in seems to have a decent game but moa at the moment and I, I you know i honestly thought i honestly thought when he went on loan to middlesbrough i thought his his albion career is over for me he's he's the star he's the star of the, he's the star in the midfield but He's not. He's not far off the star of the team. I, I, I know there's a few running him close. Grade. He's playing phenomenal at the moment. Matt Phillips has been brilliant all season, even if Hull wasn't until the goal probably his greatest game. But 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 nonetheless, he's been fantastic. And look, I'll say it again because I I slaughtered him at the start of the season. But Cedric Kipre has been just absolutely outstanding. But Alex Mower at the moment, Pete. I mean, if you if you if you're starting to look at you know. In in the in the uh, for for players of the season so far, I mean, he'd be on your shortlist, wouldn't he? He's just been unbelievable. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, even after not playing the first few games, um, I think he's, he'd have to be on the shortlist because, like you say, you know, his passing's been excellent. He's carrying the ball forward as well, um, and he's solid defensively and and compress as well and win the ball high up the pitch and make his tackles high up there rather than just. Um, sitting back and winning the ball in, in deeper areas, he can start start attacks by winning the ball back in high areas and then playing forward quickly. So, yeah, I think you struggle to to make a shortlist for Player of the Season without putting putting him on it. And if he carries on like he is, then you wouldn't be surprised to uh, to see him on it at the end of the season.
1: You just have to hope, though, Pete, that because he's obviously in the last year of his deal that that we can that that we can get uh, a takeover done so that we can keep these players because otherwise. You know, you, you win. we're not going to be able to give Alex Mo at the wages that he's on at the moment. We're, we're going to have to, we may have to sell Grady D and Garner in uh, in in the window and. You know, you you just you just hope you hope that the rumours around a takeover and when the reason we're not going to talk about them particularly is because they are just that they are they they are just rumours. I'm I'm well aware of the, the the lawyer who was said to be in the in the in the directors box. I'm re- well aware of all the all the chatter. But look, we, we've we we called this pod Albion analysis because we wanted to deal in facts. And at the moment, they're just probably because any any deal is going to be tied up by an NDA. We, we, there's not a lot to talk about in terms in terms of rock solid fact, and as soon as there is, you know this the the rumors the rumors around are exciting. I'm certainly not going to pour cold water on that. They 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 really are, and um and and if um. If Clark Hunt is interested in, in in buying West Bromwich Albion, then please, please step forward because he's he's done a really good job with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, over in America, and uh, certainly would not be against it. And it's it, it it's it's also a guy with extremely deep pockets. So, you know, th- it it does sound like it does sound like a very positive thing if there's any truth in it. But that that is that is a big if. It is a big if, and we look. We can't get carried away speculating about something that we honestly we're just talking about because a lawyer who has an affiliation to him was seen in the in the director's box at the the whole game at at the moment as much as i want it to be true it is it's a little bit too tenuous for us to be talking about the second there's anything firmer on it believe you me pete and i will be all over talking about this because if there's any credence in this i think we'll be getting very 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 excited pete but you know you just look at all these players that are playing well for us at the moment and you just think get please 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 get a positive takeover done because we've got so much going for us as a squad at the moment the manager of course but so many of the players are playing the best football they've ever played in a West Bromwich Albion shirt and you you just want them to still be here you want I mean beyond the end of the season but I mean, in the immediacy, given that we we're, we're recording this on the sixth of November, we want we want them to be be here at the end of January so they can at least see out this season with us,
0: yeah, exactly that, and I mean even Corbran as well. I think if there was a takeover to go through and there was a bit more a bit more money in the bank, then I'd probably be considering giving Corbran another extension. I know he's only recently had one, but the job he's doing is fantastic, so you need to he just needs to get him tied down and make sure he is happy. The contract because the last thing we need is a you know a few Premier League sackings and and then Premier League clubs to come sniffing. Um, we were lucky that he turned down Leeds last season supposedly, and we got him tied down to a long contract. But yeah, we just don't want anything tempting him away. And like you say, players like Alex Murray, especially who's you know coming to the the end of his contract at the end of the season, they're players that will be leaving on a free. It's maybe a little bit different if players are under contract and then we get a bit of a fee for them. But to lose players like Alex Murt on a free would be really disappointed just because we, we don't have enough money in the bank to be able to offer him the kind of contract that he'd, he'd want and probably deserve so yeah hopefully you know take we can get sorted sooner rather than later and we can actually have a little bit of, a little bit of money to use
1: Lastly Pete Southampton at the weekend um, away interesting game um we obviously got um got turned over by Russell Martin's swans twice last season although one of them oh, to be honest I would say neither necessarily that relevant in terms of looking ahead to this game not least because he was manager of a different side but also Corbram wasn't our manager for the first one i think i i think that that was the game really that was that and the the birmingham the 2-3-2 defeats were were really what spelled the end of the line for steve bruce or certainly should have done i know he clung on for a few weeks after but really that should have been it from him um but the and i don't really put too much into the um in into the 3-2 defeat at swansea because it was a game which we had to win to have any chance of making the playoffs which meant that corbran had to sort of be uncharacteristically open and go for the game and I'm not necessarily sure that's how we will approach this weekend. It's certainly not from the off anyway. Obviously game state will dictate a little bit what we do. But um another team that will want to have an awful lot of the ball um Pete but then I mean it's potentially suited us in in the past going up against a team that will want to come out of their shape and 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 have a go at us and and might leave some spaces behind on the counter-attack. Yeah, they
0: like to have the ball and like to get forward in numbers. So, you know, it could be a case of maybe sitting, being patient, and, and when we win the ball, being direct with it and, and trying to attack quickly. They're obviously a very very strong team um, with a very good manager, but, you know, at the minute they're one point one point above us. So um, I think they'll be going into the game kind of with as much caution as, as we are. You know, I think both teams know they're going to be playing playing a good team. A good side and if we can get a, a result away at Southampton then you know it's a real marker for kind of where we're at as a as a team this season and um the job that Corbran's doing because that would you know at least take us into into fourth spot if we could get a win there potentially even into third depending on other results so I think it could be an interesting game because it's two very good sides um Corran's ability to kind of adapt the style I wouldn't be surprised if we went and and picked up a, a draw or even push for a win. But yeah, I don't think you can underestimate Southampton.
1: Nope, absolutely not. And certainly won't be doing that ahead of the weekend. And certain Carlos Corbram won't be doing that ahead of the weekend. But thanks to the results that, that we have had, thanks to the run that uh, that 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 we've had, you know, one defeat in the last ten, um, three wins in a row we can go into it with a lot of confidence because, well, that's where we're at at the moment. We're fifth in the table and we deserve to be fifth in the table um, uh, because we're playing very, very well. So long may that continue and let's hope it continues at the weekend at St. Mary's. Pete and I will be back after that game to give you our reaction to it. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies.